0: Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith.
1: And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, learning about the history of black families in Greenfield with the Lava Center.
0: And hearing something about the present with diasporic families in Greenfield. There are 41 Haitian refugee families living in a motel off the Rotary. And we'll hear how a Greenfield restaurateur and wine aficionado has been hosting Haitian food pop-ups to support them.
1: Based in the Berkshires, the dance company They Dance for Rain was invited to co-produce, partner, and perform in the Nairobi Dance Life Festival taking place in Nairobi, Kenya this week.
0: Pittsfield native Stephanie Weber from They Dance for Rain and alum Jojo McDonald from Lee are the first Americans featured in the festival and are there to also assist in representing the American art form of tap dance with their dance artist partners in Nairobi. The
1: opportunity is an outgrowth of their long-term efforts to nurture the tap community in Kenya since the first trip there in 2012. And joining us... From Kenya. This is officially the furthest interview we've ever done away. Indeed. But it's still tied into the fabulous four one three, our Stephanie Weber and Jojo McDonald. It's uh it's at it's night there in Nairobi. Am I correct there,
0: Stephanie?
2: Yes, it's uh it's a little after ten PM.
0: We're catching you real, real late. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, how did
1: today go? <laughs> Everything go all right? Anything for us to look forward to for the remainder of the day? <laughs>
2: Yeah, we know all the secrets, but we're
0: not going to tell you. Oh, dang it. You don't, you're not going to tell us what stocks to buy? <laughs> Man.
1: <laughs> so, Stephanie, this is something that you have been working on uh, since 2012 when you went to, to Kenya, not with the intent of trying to start or form a tap dance relationship with another nation, correct? You just, tapping is just what you do.
2: Yeah, so the first time I, I went to Nairobi, I went to visit a friend of mine who was living here um, and we had met in AmeriCorps many, many years before. She was working for an organization, an NGO here called Save the Children, which a lot of people have heard of. And I came to visit and I wasn't really sure what I was gonna do here Uh, as a dance artist. I thought, oh, like what, what am I gonna do there, you know, while you're at work and stuff like that. And she was like, well, you know, Stephanie, people here, you know, they dance for rain and that just kind of clicked in me and I thought yeah this is a place I want to go and um, I just did a little bit of fundraising to bring a duffel bag of tap shoes and I really didn't have any idea what would happen and um, just turned out to be connected to some people here who just really have um, an understanding of the value of tap dance and the arts, and once I got connected with them, it was just it just exploded.
0: So, how many trips to Kenya do do dance workshops have you done so far now since that first duffel bag full of tap shoes?
2: <laughs> well, I was going every year um, with uh, my collaborator Monica Pitsakemi, fine arts photographer, who has been documenting the project since twenty thirteen. Um, and then the pandemic hit and um, we had to move our whole project online. And um, before that, uh, JoJo had come with us a few times as well. And, uh, and then she was also with us, who you're gonna hear from JoJo in a moment. Um, she was also with us um, during the online residency And then um, we just I just came back earlier this year for the first time since the residency. We've done so many workshops. It's like I can't even even
0: (laughs) start to quantify.
1: (laughs) So, Jojo, what's your experience been like bringing this sort of U.S. American version of tap dance to Nairobi, Kenya? And, And where are the parallels between the type of dance that's more traditional for there and the type of dance that you have brought?
3: Um, I don't know how much I can speak to the parallels because when we come here, we, we do top dance and, and that's it. <laughs> I, we've gotten to see a little bit of uh traditional dance, um, but I, I don't know how much I can speak to it. Uh, but just hearing them play the drums in rehearsal and like, it's just very present. Um, and it's it's interesting cuz the 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 dancers that we work with are are so strong rhythmically and then there are there are certain kind of like things that are lost in translation like like a jazz structure is not something that's familiar to them or like counting in 4/4 four, four time and being able to count as you're dancing is i found is a is can be a challenge and but we work on it because if we're going to have a shared language and and be able to to dance together and, and talk about dancing together. It's important to to make sure that our students in our workshops are are proficient or, or at least familiar with that. Um, what else? What, did I answer your question? Yes, totally, you did a great <laughs> job.
1: That's Jojo McDonald and Stephanie Weber who are from They Dance for Rain based in Pittsfield, Lee Berkshire's area but currently talking to us from Nairobi, Kenya and are part of a festival that's happening there, the Nairobi Dance Life Festival.
0: Stephanie, what drew you to tap in the first place? It's not, like, I love tap. It's a lot of fun, but it's not the most popular of, I would say, American dance forms. So what drew you to tap in the first place?
2: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Um... I, I, I want to say that, you know, I, I really can't tell you exactly what drew me to it. It was just kind of like, you know, it was just a pairing of like, you know, we sometimes say heart and soul, like, you know, like meaning like the soul of your shoe. Um, <laughs> it's just, it just feels like it's something that's a part of me. And when I first put on a pair of tap shoes as a child, it was just immediate, like that instant gratification of getting that sound out of moving was like, I just wanted to do more of it. But I didn't really, I mean, I I tap danced when I was a child up until I was probably about 17 or 18, but I didn't really meet my teacher until I was in my 20s. Um, And when I met her, everything changed in my
0: entire life. How, what, hmm, I wanna ask you about that change. (laughs) (laughs) But if it's hard to quantify, we can ask what's different about, teaching your classes as you have done pre pandemic and, and being at the festival at the, the dance life festival and being in a residency there.
2: So before the pandemic, um, we were really running around many different locations in Nairobi, um, various informal settlements and um, some private schools or, you know, private areas and um uh, just various different groups, youth groups, and change-making sorts of groups, and um, just teaching everybody that wanted to learn from us who were interested in it that we could have access to. And, um, and that was very busy. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of um, bringing tap shoes in and tap shoe inventories and um, just communicating with lots of different groups of people. And And also working with, um, we worked with a large group of local dance artists who um, have now sort of gone on to become the teachers of the form now. So what was different before the pandemic is that we were mostly just teaching. During the pandemic, we had a small, we had a group of eight artists who really wanted to be committed to learning how to teach the form because we didn't really know what was going to happen when we were going to be able to get back. So we spent three months online with eight artists here in Nairobi, um, working with them on how to, for them to be teachers. And that changed everything.
1: We're speaking with Stephanie Weber and Jojo McDonald from They Dance for Rain, which has got its origins in the Berkshires. But they are both currently in Nairobi, Kenya at the Nairobi Dance Life Festival. Tell us more about the festival itself. I know you were kind of co-produced. You were asked to come, the first uh, U.S. Americans to come and be part. Of this, uh, are there other types of dance that are represented in this Nairobi festival, Jojo?
3: Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tell us about the other. Yeah, there's d- yeah. um,
3: there, as I understand it, there's sort of been workshops in the earlier part of the week and performances in the later part of the week. Uh, so you can learn a dance form from a teacher and then see their performance later on. There was. Uh, Afrofusion, uh, dance, theater, uh, break dancing, um, modern. Uh, there was a traditional group I we weren't able to go, but I I saw them on Instagram Live this morning. There, um, and I don't remember what it's called, but they're, it's a more traditional group from uh, coastal Kenya, and. They, there was like, the the festival is doing a really great job of like promoting online. So they're doing Instagram lives of all the workshops and this one, um, yeah, it was kind of like a communal singing and and dancing and and some percussive percussive dance elements, um, and then we had our performance last night and we shared the evening with, uh, oh, what's his name, Brian Oluo. Is that right, Stephanie?
2: I think so.
0: <laughs> okay. He
3: had a um, a modern piece on. It was sort of about deforestation, the problem of deforestation in Kenya, and then we followed his piece with with our piece. <laughs> and there's a and there's tap dance too, and there's two tap dance performances in the festival, which is really exciting. Both
1: by you or by another organization too.
2: So we did a performance last night. It was with uh, Brian Otieno. Um, mm. And um, yeah, and we did a performance. Jojo and I did a performance last night. We premiered a new piece, which we will also be working on in Western Massachusetts when we get back. Oh cool. Nice. Civil Motions. Um, and then we are working with a group of dancers called Tapa Tappa. Tappa. Um, we'll be performing with them tomorrow at the National Theater. And these are um, some dancers who first started tap dancing with us in 2014, 2015, and now they have their own tap dance company. They're absolutely amazing. They're very devoted. Um, You know, just like me, when I met my teacher, they sort of, you know, it clicked for them too. And
1: pun intended.
0: Absolutely dedicated.
1: (laughs) What'd you say? I said pun intended because that's the sound your shoes make. It clicked for them.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's like this. I'm like that all the time. All the time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you participating in some of the other workshops and learning other forms of dance? Are you just watching the other workshops or, or how does this Nairobi Dance Life Festival work?
2: Well, for the artists that are that are here taking part in the festival, it's a little difficult for us to sort of overlap with each other's work because we're all working. Mm-hmm. Like we're rehearsing, you know, we're teaching. So the overlap we I have, you know, we've both had the opportunity of meeting various artists, like people we wouldn't have otherwise, you know, had a connection with or, you know, had the opportunity to, to, you know, connect with, um, but we haven't had the opportunity to be in each other's work, to be in each other's forms. Um, yeah. And that happens a lot at festivals where mm-hmm. you end up just that you're working. You don't really also have the time to sort of, also study from each other but we but we are looking forward to after our show tomorrow because we're, we're gonna be guest dancers with tapa tappa tomorrow we're, we're looking forward to being in the theater for the day and getting to see all the other artists and then we'll we'll kind of officially be done tomorrow night and so on Sunday we're really looking forward to just hanging out and, and watching the performances and and seeing what's going on.
0: Sunday's like your day off where you get to like actually enjoy the festival.
2: Yes. Yes. It's kind of the best part of the festival.
0: Like you've put in all of this time and all of this effort and performances and classes. But like that one day and there's always there's usually like a chunk of time where you just kind of get to relax and see what everybody else is doing. And it's the best.
1: (laughs) We're speaking with Stephanie Webber, originally from Pittsfield and Jojo McDonald from Lee, who have left the 413 for now and are in Nairobi, Kenya at the Nairobi Dance Life Festival. Uh, Stephanie and Jojo have both gone to Kenya several times to teach tap dance, and I'm wondering, it has uh, have people from Nairobi come to Western Mass? Is the exchange gone this direction in regards to uh, expanding the world of tap dance across the globe? Stephanie?
2: No, not yet, but we really want that to happen. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be
2: amazing. I want to see tapa we're tapa. to make that happen. Yeah, yeah I want yeah, to see, especially tap- after seeing like what's happening right now with mm-hmm. the with the group that we're working with. Mostly, I mean, they're they're ready. They're just they're ready. So mm-hmm. at this point, it's all about funding.
3: We just got a
0: fundraiser. <laughs> uh, there is yeah. a fundraising
1: so if wanna- website if you want to support their trip. I can uh, yeah, there's we can put links in the. With the podcast of this as well, so there you go.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. In
0: lieu of actually bringing them, sana. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> in, in lieu of actually bringing them here, Jojo, are there things that you've learned on the? Because you haven't been every time, but in the times that you've been, are there things that you've learned in Kenya that you've brought back to your work in Western Mass? Oh, um, i not. I mean,
3: the first time I went to Kenya, I hadn't really left the Berkshires yet um I grew up in Lee I went to Williams College um and it was I I didn't really have a lot of exposure to cities or how how artists lived and worked in cities and and just meeting this group of dancers who were living in Nairobi and working and and you know doing all kind of different dance forms and and hustling and and that kind of opened up my world and and just the 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 warmth and the openness and camaraderie that they that they showed me and each other kind of reinforced how i how i like to work it was kind of like oh like these people work the way i like to work because you know like i moved to new york and and there's a lot of competition there there's a lot of like I gotta like get to this place and do this thing and be on Broadway and like it, it can be hard to I don't know let that go but here in Nairobi they they seem to do that and I don't know if it was conscious but I I think I can say that I've taken that with me and kept it in my pocket
0: that's beautiful
1: that is Jojo McDonald from Lee and Stephanie Weber from Pittsfield. They Dance for Rain is the name of their troupe who have brought their U.S. form of tap dance to Nairobi, Kenya for the Nairobi Dance Life Festival. Thanks so much for sharing with us your experiences in Nairobi uh, here in the 413 on the show.
0: And we can't see what, can't wait to see what you bring back with you. Yeah,
1: I want you to bring <laughs> Tappa Tappa, that, that group from Nairobi. Uh, with you here to the 413. Hit Thanks. That fundraising link. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Hit the link. We can't tell you directly to do that. No. That's one of the rules of New England public media and public Oops. media in general. Oh. But. Do what you will with oh, your sorry, life.
0: Visit <laughs> our
3: website to learn more.
1: <laughs> later, in, later in the show, an exhibit opens tonight exploring the depth of the black community in Greenfield. We'll talk with the Lava Center and the Historical Society of Greenfield about putting this feature together.
0: And keeping it in, Greenfield we will enter the Wine Thunderdome with Amy McMahon from Mesa Verde and talk wine and her Haitian food pos- pop-ups supporting the recently arrived Haitian refugees. That's next on the Fabulous 413 on
1: NEPM. We have once again entered (laughs) the Wine Thunderdome, and we are once again going off the beaten path in regards to wine. We are at the bar of a burrito joint in Greenfield where the owner and purveyor is, by my estimation, the most knowledgeable wine snob who doesn't work in wine full time. (laughs) What is your name?
4: It's Amy McMahon. I own Mesa Verde in downtown Greenfield.
1: You've been in my column many times for The Valley Advocate because you are one of those people. You're like a sponge. You sap up information and retain it in a way that is tremendous for me to observe. And your palate is... Incredible. Your desire to learn more about things like wine is incredible. But you've also run this restaurant, which is an institution in Greenfield. There's many times I've sat right at the bar where I am right now, and you're here with the chair of the school committee, or the mayor walks in, or things like that. It's a little bit like Cheers, not unlike uh, the Ashfield Lake House where we were last week. But you've recently done something amazing with Haitian refugees who are living down the street at the Days Inn right off the Rotary.
4: Yeah, I um, was really excited. I wanted to have more representation for underrepresented food in Greenfield, and you actually have to drive two hours to go to a Haitian restaurant. You have to go to Boston. After watching High on the Hog, I... Which is what?
0: It's a documentary on Afro-diasporic foodways in America.
4: So Stephen Satterfeld, who is a former sommelier, or perhaps a current sommelier did this documentary, and he was in The New Yorker recently saying that he was hoping that High on the Hog would have more of an effect on inviting people in this country to do some work around what foods they're eating, and that there still isn't really representation. Like We're all still having to drive to an urban center to have Caribbean food. So here I am in a rural setting. I have 140 new neighbors, some of whom walked here from Chile. Like There's a contingent at the hotel who had work permits and lived in Chile for nine years. And suddenly, the government was like, bye. And they walked the length of South America to get to the border and then. What I, from what I understand, Texas and Florida is just putting people on buses and sending them to the northern states. And I think they think that's like, you know, ha-ha, but I'm like, thank you. It's nice having people who are excited to be here and also be in the pres- the humbling presence of people who have walked a
1: continent. I mean, amazing.
4: It takes three months. They said that it takes like four or five days to walk the length of Columbia. We, so we created this event to show people what Haitian food is because if we're all honest most of us I had been I've had it once at a, a restaurant in Miami. I've had it
1: once at a restaurant in Boston.
4: I've
0: had it a bunch. Including
1: like, on Sunday when they did the Including
0: pop-up. on Sunday where I really should have asked for more piquis. Piquis is the best and what I'm. is it? It is a pickle. It's like a akin to the slaw that you get on the side of pupusas. It's like cabbage and peppers and carrots and almost like escabeche but better. What's Escobesh?
1: It, assumes everybody knows everything that Khalees knows.
0: <laughs> Escabeche is also another pickled salad where you have vegetables in vinegar brine. Amy McMahon from
1: Mesa Verde... This is a burrito place. You go to Italy on a regular basis and learn how to make extraordinary pizza. We got to get you involved in our pizza quest. But Haitian food is not your bailiwick necessarily, but you do know somebody whose bailiwick it is.
4: Yeah, so Chef Pam, who is the pastry chef, head baker at UMass, grew up in Haiti, speaks fluent Creole. And she had this idea that we would bring some cooks over from the Days Inn and she worked with them for like 13 hours on Saturday night making the A piece is the marinade that everything gets marinated in. They laughed at me because I had made it with the New York Times recipe that has celery in it. <laughs> and she was like, no self-respecting Haitian would ever use celery in their piece." So I'm like, oh, you need to take it up with the New York Times. And they made a, a sauce t- timalis, um, which is when you take the apiece and you add the coconut milk and tomato paste and chicken maggi. We had fried pork that went on fried plantains, the green ones, with the piglis. The chicken in um, timalis sauce, and uh, we had rice with bean sauce, and they also made a pumpkin soup, which I believe to be the National Independence Day dish of Haiti.
1: And so these are, is it 41 families or something like that living at the Days Inn in Greenfield? And then you do this pop-up with Haitian food on Sunday, and it's a fundraiser, right? So what is that money going to support and through what organization?
4: We just took the money, went to BJ's, and bought all of the necessities that the families asked for. So we're talking diapers and formula and laundry detergent, which are extremely expensive. Yeah. But I want to just give a shout out to state senator, Joe Comerford, who came and supported and bought some meals and threw some money into the bucket. And also Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner and Janita Sorger, who's also running for mayor. Like it just was a, a nexus of all kinds of interested parties who wanted to be here to support the event
1: and i know that the greenfield health department is involved in trying to make sure that they, these families are getting what they need as well as the sheriff's department in franklin county
4: the sheriff's department has shuttled people to the church there's a, a number of catholic people living at the uh, motel and i know the health department has been in in charge of you know making sure that the shelter is up to code and you know seeing what the needs are
1: you have a philosophy about food that is why you're bringing, why this was something that was important for you Amy McMahon from Mesa Verde to do here in Greenfield for these Haitian refugees some of whom walked the continent to get here
4: yeah so somebody called me up from Springfield on Saturday and was like I'm bringing some some of my friends on Sunday because they're so homesick and I thought I can make food that makes people feel at home people who have walked here, people who don't know if they can ever return to Haiti. You know, my whole relationship with food was my mother teaching me about where she was from, where we couldn't return to because of the Vietnam War. So I was like so in awe of the power of food, ingredients that cost less than $10 that you mix together with your ancestral knowledge, your soul, and you put on a plate and it's steaming and in the alchemy of this tastes like home. I mean, what's better than that? Nothing.
0: <laughs>
4: just don't
1: add celery.
0: You hear that, New York Times? And well, as I Not mi- in that dish. I mean, just come on.
1: <laughs> and as I mentioned before, Amy McMahon is an extraordinarily knowledgeable wine snob. And we're going to blind taste some wine right now in the Wine Thunderdome, the Tina Turner Memorial Wine Thunderdome. Here at the bar at Mesa Verde, where you don't serve these wines, but you do make really excellent margaritas. And where I would get a blackened chicken burrito with chipotle sour cream and spicy roasted garlic hot sauce, like every week for more than a decade. <laughs> <laughs> and where my wife on my former show would do a Spanish word of the week where other people could win burritos too. So this is I have a long relationship with this place and I love it so much.
0: I also appreciated that on your commercials on our former home, you also sent shout outs to Hadapons who I miss yeah. greatly. You've been doing this not just in real life, but in your no, advertising? Yeah. You've
1: been mission-driven, even in your own commercial advertising, trying to tout Greenfield as an amazing community, and are continuing to do that with this pop-up that you just did last weekend for the Haitian refugees living in the area. Is there something in coming up in the future that we should expect in regards to um, what's next with these Haitian refugees living in our community?
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to continue to invite them to come and make food. I have a young lady who wants to come and make food more um, regularly. So I think even this Saturday, I'm going to offer um, poulet malise and piqulis. What's and poulet malice? It's the creole sauce mm-hmm. with the chicken, and then you have it over the, the rice. The beans. And then the, the <laughs> cabbage slaw.
1: What got you interested in the world of wine, Amy McMahon?
4: Again, it's a way that... Somebody can speak of place. I think Monty and I both had the experience of blind tasting something and being like, I know this wine. No other wine in the world speaks of the land and the conditions this was grown in. So like a Nebbiolo, a Riesling, you can't replicate it. So it's again, it's like that when people get homesick for something, I think a lot of the, the initial waves of immigration, wine was the way they said, like, this is where I'm from. These My grandparents grew this wine in Puglia like this. Yeah, I'm always interested in the ways we can transport people and time travel with something like a bottle of wine and a, a plate of food. Collar cranes. There you go. <laughs> There's some truth and some
1: myth about people coming over from Italy and bringing the vines for the Zinfandel that now grows in California because they literally were trying to bring their place with them all right so we not you're blind tasting us on this okay, For, so, Pouring in the first one i'm not cheating i'm not looking
0: we're not looking at the bottle
1: behind the bar our eyes are
0: closed you guys want to spit <sighs> no we're heathens That's
1: we won't fit. tell the listener what time it is when we're recording this <laughs> <laughs> but it's not traditional wine time
0: <laughs> are they insets or insets yeah this is your set okay
1: cool okay Both white wines, Mm -hmm. first one on my right at least, a little bit lighter in color than the second one, which is also very light, but a little bit more golden.
4: Mm -hmm. Just remember, you only have to identify the French wine. We're not trying to play any kind of oat wine games. It's really just about identifying Can you find France?
1: (gasps) Ah! Remember we did this once? (laughs) We did it at my house during a Patriots game. Amy came with a bunch of bags And one of them was Apothic Red, Mm -hmm. which is a very popular wine, but in my opinion,
0: it's terrible. Very
1: disgusting. (laughs) So we were like, our our sheer goal here is to make sure we know which one is the apothic red. And it just so happened it was the last bag. So there was a little bit of panic leading up to it. Like, what if we've tasted it but didn't recognize how bad it was because we were drinking it blind? But as soon as we poured that last one, we all knew it was apothic red and we're grossed out appropriately.
0: Yeah. If you like apothic red, that's fine for you. Keep listening to this show. It's really we'll good. pull you down the
5: road. Yeah,
0: it's really good for poaching pears in because it's so unbalanced in that way. And then you can kind of hide it with fructose and sucrose. Yeah. Um, but it's, all, well, I mean, sometimes people bring bottles to your house and you're like, oh, thanks. i want to waste
4: it. So, in honor of Monty's heritage, one of these wines is from Sicily because I know that your family came from Naples. But it's that same region where right. we have these very volcanic wines. So Ain- it, should, it should be it should be stony, and have a miner- minerality about it.
1: Amy McMahon despite her own ethnic background, is more Italian than I am. Speaks more Italian, has been to Italy how many times?
4: I, yeah, I don't
0: remember at this point. It's, it's
1: been a lot. I've been zero times I and speaks the been tiniest been bit of Italian.
0: I've been zero times, I'm so, also sorry.
1: We should go, we'll make it a fabulous 413 abroad. I've won, that's like my dream, to be like wait, support New England Public Media and wait, join wait. Monty and Khalees.
0: Do we make it a joint thing with them opening the new embassy Sure. <laughs> Springfield?
1: Yeah, I know, that's awesome. All right. You got any guesses, Khalees? What's what?
0: I think what I'm trying to keep in my brain is that, like, the Sicilian one is going to have more Mediterranean wine trends. But, like, almost every other thing that we've had from Italy has had that mineral, like, acidity thing that the first one has and I'm trying not to let that lead me down the wrong path. That's exactly how
1: I feel, by the way. Like, I thought at first that the first one, that it's got a lot of strong minerality to it, was French. And the second one is more fruity, a little more stank and floral. This is a tough one, Mesa, (laughs) Amy. This is a tough one. I don't know This is an apothic red in a bag.
4: I would say one tastes like a mountain, and one tastes like flowers and honey. Mm -hmm.
1: Is the mountain a volcano?
4: Yes. Yes, it is.
1: Then I say, the first one on the right is it's Sicilian, Sicilian. the one on the left French. is French. Are we okay. correct?
4: You are correct. Okay. The French one is a Chevigny. It's from the Loire Valley. I was
1: gonna say, that was yeah. the other thing. Could be Loire because Loire has yeah, a lot, it's, it's more southerly, it's richer, so more it's floral.
4: A, it's a combination of Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon Gris.
1: Okay, we have to decide. It's a wine Thunderdome, two wines enter. One wine leaves. Two
4: men enter, one man leaves.
1: If we had to leave with one of these two wines, what's your vote, Mesa Amy?
4: I think the Chevronier is just so elegant and delicious. I would want to drink it every single day. The French from
1: the Loire, Kelly Smith? The French. I vote Sicilian, not just because it's close to my people's heritage, but because I like its steely minerality.
0: It's delicious. It, it is, is delicious. We've done enough of these where you should know that if you give me a pile of flowers, I want to drink flowers. <laughs>
1: so the Cheverny wins in this wine thunderdome at the bar at Mesa Verde, where you cannot buy these wines. You can only talk about wine with one of the most knowledgeable wine snobs in the region, Amy McMahon. If... People have heard about what you've been doing with the Haitian refugees who've been living the days in down the street and want to continue to support that. What's a good thing for them to do? Where's a good place for them to go or to look?
4: Yeah, just stay tuned um, to our Facebook page because we're going to keep figuring out how to bring food to Greenfield that isn't represented in the in these rural areas like Haitian food, Caribbean food. We were talking to the, the women who cooked on Sunday and some of them came from Brazil and some of them came from Chile. So I think there's a, a lot of interesting fertile ground here for experimentation and, you know, hybridization, which always interests me because a lot of the food that we love is from somebody immigrating from somewhere else and mixing stuff around. And that's what's beautiful about America is the way that we have opened our our hearts and minds to this hybridization that happens when people come from all over and talk to each other and cook for each other.
0: It's the best salad.
4: Forget about a melting pot.
0: The melting pot theory also just doesn't work because, like, you can't really deny where you're from. You just bring that and you add it to, like, this wonderful layered thing to compose something that tastes better when it's all together. We don't need another piece. Uh, it's jarring every time. (laughs) That's Khalees singing. Badly. I think it sounds great. Come and see me this weekend if you'd like to see me sing better. Shameless plug, where are you playing? New City Brewery in East Hampton. Tomorrow? Tomorrow night with the Soul Magnets.
1: Up next, Jan Mayer and Carol Aylman on the new exhibit at the Lava Center, Shining Light on Black Families and Their History in Greenfield. You're listening to The Fabulous
0: 413 on NEPM.
1: The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khaleesi Smith. A new exhibit opens on Main Street in Greenfield, not far from where we were just drinking at the bar at Mesa Verde this evening. It's called Black Families of Greenfield, a brief historical snapshot, and it is at the Lava Center, local access to Valley Arts. And joining us is one of the curators and researchers of the exhibit, Carol Ailman, who's president of the board of the Historical Society of greenfield as well as jan Mayer, who is the co-coordinator and board member of the lava center thank you both so much for joining us carol um we'll start with you tell us about what instigated this as a research project uh, for you bringing it to the lava center starting tonight and going through next month uh,
5: yes um it turns out that uh, four years ago i Uh, retired from my job at the Five College Consortium in Amherst, and um, I realized in the back of my head that I had always wanted to learn more about the Black population in town. Uh, I had married into a Black family back in the early 70s. I knew some of the folks at that time, Um, and then I'd lost track. Uh, the, The marriage ended in divorce, and I still... Had this inkling of what was going on with some of the folks, but I basically wanted to um, return to that topic, and I hadn't found much in the written record. So that's what got me started.
1: What is the earliest piece of research that you found in regards to black families in Greenfield? For those who aren't familiar with Greenfield, it is not typically thought of as one of the most diverse communities. No. Uh, in the four counties of Western Mass, although like so many other communities, they, there are untold stories. And I think that's what's remarkable about uh, this particular exhibit that opens tonight. One might
0: but, even say the, the impetus behind it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So where, what's the furthest back we go historically about black families in Greenfield, Carol, from the Greenfield Historical Society?
5: Well, for my own research, I decided to start with black barber John Putnam who is probably the best known individual in town among the um, black community. And uh, I have recently discovered that he was in town as early as 1842. And so I have not really delved much beyond that much earlier. Um, My interest is less in the slavery question and more in who were these people in the community? How did they live their lives? and um, make make community. What kind of churches did they have? How were they involved? What were their achievements? I wanted to get at the heart of who the people were. So um, 1842 is a, about the earliest that I'm really seriously looking back right now.
0: Have you found any ties in the things that you've found historically to things that currently exist and are still at least there, if not thriving?
5: Um. Well, um, of course, the black church is no longer in existence uh, as it was. Um, But I have been in touch with community members who um, have helped me develop this exhibit. And um, I am going to have two of them present with me this evening at the opening. So um, I'm I'm focusing on the Harris families, the Peters families and the scott family and um, i have actually been working with folks from all three families to get get information photographs and learn some of their stories
1: that's carol Aylman, who's president of the board of the historical society of greenfield there is a new exhibit that opens this evening at the lava center on main street in greenfield called the black families of greenfield a brief historical snapshot I'm interested in learning more about that barber, Mr. Putnam. Tell us uh, why he is a a figure that still looms large uh, over 100 years later in regards to uh, having an impact on the city known as the town of Greenfield.
5: Well, uh, John Putnam, uh, you might not be surprised to learn, is actually uh, related to many of the people who are... Uh, the subject of these stories that i'm trying to collect and the information the photographs Um, and um, he was not only a popular barber in town but he also was a left-handed fiddler Uh and he would um, have a a band go around the community Um, actually as far as uh, southern new hampshire and vermont uh, outside of Franklin County in Massachusetts as well, and um, play music. Um, he, was, he is considered the father of contra dance.
1: Oh. Hmm. So
5: he has, uh, for years, there were some reunions, uh, Putnam reunions, so to speak, and people would come. That has been discontinued, but I'm trying to revive some of that energy that centered around that. There,
1: there is still a huge contra dancing community, especially in Franklin County. Yes. And this all kind of stems from the Barbara John Putnam from Greenfield.
5: Um, you know, I can't say that for sure, but I'd like to think that is uh-huh. the case. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really I haven't really looked too deeply into the contra dance topic, but uh, I do know also that, yes, it's very popular.
0: At, at least if nothing else, definitely a, a, a large figure in the community. Yeah. yeah. This comes as um, it seems as if there are a lot of these projects popping up. Like Northampton's got one on its slave population through its historical society. There's one through for Holyoke through Wisteria Hearst. Have you had a chance to speak with anyone else doing similar or like parallel projects about how to go about research or like sharing some of your resources?
5: um yes um, that's a great question i have been working with uh, the pioneer valley history network and they've had a documenting black lives project that's been going now for i I think about three years Um, and uh, so i worked and shared some of my research with them i have also worked with folks at the hadley historical society Um, actually getting my hands on some of the, the records, the account books, and trying to, uh, it was a bit of a starting point with me to, um, to see what really does exist. And then I turned to the Historical Society in Greenfield. um, And there's less there. But I haven't given up, I still go up to the library and challenge myself to just dig a little further and find something more.
1: That's Carol Aylman, who's the president of the board of the Historical Society of Greenfield. A new exhibit opens this evening that we haven't gotten to see yet called the Black Families of Greenfield. But, Carol, we have heard about the Barbara John Putnam. Uh, tell us another story of an interesting person throughout Greenfield's history uh, and the impact that they had on that community that you've learned through researching this for the exhibit at the Lava Center.
5: All right. Um, there are a lot of a lot of possibilities here, um, so I'll have to think for a second. I guess I'll go with uh, I with Charles Scott. Charles Scott sang with the Belafonte Chorus. He um, uh, played out of New York City. He was a big figure in Greenfield. He always came back to um, perform at the local Lions Club events some of the other groups in town, um, and he was a Greenfield kid. So um, that he's also featured in my exhibit rather prominently. He was on the uh, Fred Waring show, which I'm told was similar to what we some of us remember as the Ed Sullivan show, uh-huh. and he sang there.
1: And you were saying that uh, one of his family members or some of his family members will be there tonight at this opening reception. Is that true?
5: Um, I don't. I don't know that I'll have any Scott family members there tonight, but I have um, two Harris family family members coming, and uh, I believe that. uh, Peters, I have several Peters family members coming I don't know a lot of these people, but the the more local ones are going to be present.
1: Tell us about uh, what the Harris family's connection is to what research you've done.
5: Uh, All right, well um. The Harris family includes Edie Harris. She's uh, in her late nineties and she's going to be present tonight. She is one of my greatest um, experts (laughs) and uh, her niece will also be here, Ellie. Uh, And I intentionally have included them so that they can help me answer questions about the family. Um, Edie's husband, Bill, was on in the fire department in town a well-known individual I think it was on the volunteer staff uh, and he was the chief of that group
1: well we're gonna take a little break but coming up in just a second we'll have more with Carol Ailman who's the president of the board of the Historical Society of Greenfield and their new exhibit that opens at the Lava Center tonight called black families of Greenfield and we'll also talk with Jan Mayer who's the co-coordinator and board member of the Lava Center about some of the other interesting stuff that they've got going on there on Main Street.
0: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM.
1: Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Tonight at the Lava Center in Greenfield on Main Street, a new exhibit, Black Families of Greenfield, chronicling a brief history of the black families that have had an impact on that town, at least from some of them. And Carol Aylmans, the president of the board of the Historical Society of Greenfield, who's been doing this research, but we're also joined by Jan Mayer, who's a co-coordinator and board member of the Lava Center. For those who aren't familiar with the mission of the Lava Center, Jan, is it where you try to stay on the couch and not touch the floor because the floor is lava? That's just your children. Or what is the <laughs> Lava Center?
6: Uh, the Lava Center is a community arts and humanities center in downtown Greenfield. Uh, we're right at the cultural crossroads of Greenfield at, at Federal and Main. We're located between uh, GSET and uh, TD Bank, and on the other side, the Pushkin uh, Building across the the community
1: owned internet the bank is the bank and then the (laughs) pushkin was a bank and is now an arts center right there in the middle is the lava center and
6: yes and uh we're across from hawks and reed which is another uh uh, artistic landmark of the corner and from the from the greenfield common Mm -hmm. so we're right right in the heart of it
1: and what's the mission of the lava center jan
6: Uh, The mission is to create opportunities in and through the arts and humanities, and that covers a wide territory of being an incubator where people can come to develop their ideas, whether they're uh, visual artists or spoken word artists or written word artists or playwrights or performers. Um, So we have a wide variety of, and filmmakers, I should add, too. We have a wide variety of artists whose work is shown here. Uh, and the idea is for people to have a chance to develop their work but also for our local audiences to have a chance to come and uh, see what people are doing and, and sometimes even participate in that process. We do a lot of readings where we have talk backs after the readings and, and the, uh, the audience gets to share their ideas too. Um, and we have just recently designated the corner where Carol's show is as our humanities corner so that is going to house long-running, uh, by long-running I mean three months rather than one month, gallery shows that have humanities themes rather than just the fine arts theme that, that kind of adheres to the, uh, to the what we call the long wall gallery. And so every three months there will be an exhibit that um, is up long enough for people to get by and really pay some good attention to it and, and learn from it, uh, learn the stories of, of people that uh, are not well known in the town. Uh, The whole thing kind of, this whole project kind of grows out of our ECHO Greenfield, which we launched a couple years ago with help from the Humanities Commission to develop a digital platform. um, That was during the COVID lockdown days. Um, And that ECHO stands for exploring and creating histories ourselves. And so uh, that has continued to be, once we developed that program, something that has drawn people. um, And we hope that more people will come, uh, as as people come in and see the gallery shows, will be inspired to tell us and share their own stories with us. Uh, We will have listening booths from time to time. Nothing is scheduled right at the moment, but uh, people who want to be on top of that can follow our website at thelavacenter.org and see when we have a listening booth. You can come, you can tell your story to somebody who's had some training in oral history listening, or you can just talk to a microphone without anybody interceding. It's like your own story uh, core there. Like (laughs) our own story core, right. And then
3: then
1: if you
6: tell us your story, you are in charge of it. You are in charge of whether you just want a copy of it or whether you want to allow us to use it in some larger humanities context so
1: thank you so Uh, much jan Mayer, who is uh, with the lava center a board member there and the exhibit opens tonight carol ailman is from the historical society of greenfield and has done the research on history behind some of the black families of greenfield it opens tonight a reception from six to eight but then it's open through september thank you both so much for joining us
6: thank you for having us no problem. I'll speak for Carol, too. <laughs> <got the>
0: <laughs> next week on the show, the 413's own Rachel Maddow. She's got a new podcast with Isaac Davy Aronson called Deja News, and they'll both be joining us next week on the show. We'll also be
1: broadcasting live from the brand new Greenfield Public Library on Friday afternoon where we'll meet the librarians and hear the music of Scottish harpist Maeve Gilchrist, We'll be playing at Antenna Cloud Farm
0: in Guild that night. You should join us at the library a week from today. She does absolutely amazing things on harp. You really should I see wait, it. can't wait, really. Come and join us. Uh, we're going to be talking about accents of the people of Chicopee. From the Gilded Age with linguist Ren Wood. And we'll talk about
1: the ups and downs and ups again of the record store business at Platterpuss Records in East Hampton with John Dugan, professor of music business and popular music studies.
0: Our director is Tony, one day more done. Our engineer is Betsy, the electric slide, Lankto. Our technical team is Bart, underwhelmed by coffee machines, Rankin, Kara Freewheeling, and Naptown Foster and punk rude boy Dubay.
1: Thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, de Ohms, Tina Turner, Wu-Tang Clan, and One Time Weekend. And Curtis Mayfield, I'm Khalees Smith. I'm
0: Monty Balmonte. See you next week on The Fabulous 413.